You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, the guys uh, went out and they competed. Offense, we got, we beat the defense at, at times, and then defense got the best of us. So, you know, it's a good competition amongst the offense and defense. Uh, you know, we want to put the guys in game situations, coaches off the field, and see how they reacted. And I thought for the most part, across the board on offense, they did a good job. Uh, on our side of the ball, you know, what, what our plan was, was we were going to play very basic stuff so everybody could have a chance to operate. Um, we were just evaluating technique, effort, uh, communication, and then see who could tackle. Uh, for the most part, I think it was, was pretty good. Uh, we definitely got some things to clean up. Um, we definitely have some people in depth charts shuffle around a little bit, um, but it was just a good evaluation tool for our coaches on defense. Yeah, we got a scrimmage coming up, and I think after that, um, we'll adjust the reps at all the positions, not just quarterback, make sure we're getting more reps to guys that we think are ahead. It seems like we've been here two months already. It's only been a little over a week, and there's still a lot more reps to be had for everybody. Hello here, and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as that was head coach Scott Frost, um, kind of giving a big picture take on where things are at with Nebraska here um, as they make their way through fall camp. And um, Nebraska held a big scrimmage, um, you know, this past week. They had one more this week, and, and that's really it. I mean, fall camp comes to a close this weekend. Um, and, you know, it's, it's crazy, first of all, how fast it's gone. Uh, but secondly, I think how tight-lipped information seems to have come by. Yeah, it's been uh, a lot of kind of a guessing game about where things actually stand because no one is really revealing a whole lot. Now, there's been uh, cases of heaps of praise being thrown out there, Maurice Washington probably being the highlight of that. But when it comes to the true position battles, uh, especially quarterback, but beyond that, you know, running back as well and um, some spots on the the defensive backfield, uh, nobody's saying a whole lot of anything. And that is clearly by design, um, you know, because they want to keep things as in-house as possible which is no surprise. That's just kind of the way Frost and his staff operate. So um, as far as getting a picture of what that September 1st depth chart is going to look like and who those first groups on both sides of the ball are going to be, there are some spots we're probably not going to get a clear answer to until that first game week um, when they really have to narrow it down and start preparing for an actual opponent. Yeah, I'm not really surprised by the lack of specific information that's coming out either. I mean, if there's ever going to be a year where the staff can kind of – you know, keep things under wraps and, and have a little bit of an edge, uh, you know, as far as our opponents go. I mean, this would be it. So uh, I kind of expected things to be fairly quiet. Uh, and like you said, Robin, there's been, you know, some specific instances where certain guys have received praise. But as far as a, a detailed kind of analysis on some of these position battles, I mean, that has been really hard to come by. Well, I, I think quarterback, too, is, is one where, you know, it, that's the one we all want to know. I mean, nobody really has, to me, a very good read on, on – on that group and kind of where things are at. But, um, you know, I think the perception, at least right now, early on, is Jebby has the edge. I mean, just the, the stuff that has leaked out of the scrimmages and the things that we've heard, uh, Tristan Jebby, uh, um sounds like he's been the more consistent guy. Adrian Martinez, um, you know, has maybe forced things at times or made those freshman-type mistakes, whether it's having trouble checking it down or throwing it away and trying to go for the big play. Um, and I thought somebody on our website had this analogy in, in our chat that Jebbia is kind of the point guard that racks up assists and Martinez is the guy that goes hard to the rim and maybe will turn it over from time to time. And it's a matter of what do you want? I mean, what is the strength of this football team? To me, it's the running backs and the receivers. Could the distributor of Jebbia be the better option than maybe 
the big plays that Martinez could offer with his legs at times. Yeah, it's a matter of consistency. I mean, that's that's the one thing that I think is the separator here above all. Uh, you know, we, there's so many playmakers on this offense that the quarterback doesn't need to be that home run threat on every play. I mean, you basically need to facilitate. And the point guard um, is a perfect example and one that Tristan Jebbia himself used when described what the responsibilities of the quarterback are in this offense. And so if you've got a guy that you know you can depend on, that can consistently get the ball where it needs to be, recognize things pre-snap, and be that fast blinker that they like to call, uh, I mean, that can take you a long way. And so there's obviously a lot of momentum around Adrian Martinez. And, you know, I think all of us were uh, guilty of getting behind that as well, just because he is such a dynamic playmaker. And he showed glimpses of that in the spring and in the spring game, and then obviously got some good reports this fall. But I think when it all comes down to it, when it comes to naming a starter of who's going to be the general of your team, uh, you got to go with the guy you can count on. And if there's cases where Adrian Martinez is making too many uh, mistakes, taking chances, turning the football over, uh, that hurts your trust that the coaching staff is going to have in you and ultimately might be the deciding factor in who starts that first game against Akron. Well, and it really probably shouldn't come as a very big surprise that Jebby has been a good facilitator because he was that guy in high school. He had a ton of different weapons in high school. He ran a wide open offense and you know his coaches you know, Casey Clausen um, you know it was he, he he wanted Jebbia to be able to make decisions quickly get the ball out and to his playmakers and, and that's what he did and he set all sorts of records in California by doing it so uh, and by all accounts that's kind of what he's been able to do so far through fall camp so um, I, I think this is going to continue to be a little bit of a, a battle but uh, you know I think Jebbia does have a good handle on things and, right and people forget he was a four-star recruit he yeah. was highly touted I mean he broke records and and had was completion percentage what's 70% in high school almost, wasn't yeah, it? Nearly I mean, 70%. I think I think we do definitely get enamored with the physical size of Martinez, the speed of Martinez, um, and then just, you know, because no one perceives Jebbia as a runner, so to speak. So I think that is why, you know, nobody really thought he would be a fit because he wasn't a Scott Frost recruit. But if Scott Frost starts Jebbia, I think it also will show us that, you know what, he's not about starting, quote-unquote, his guy. He's about starting the best guy. And it doesn't matter if you are Mike Riley quarterback recruit or Scott Frost quarterback recruit. He's going to play the best guy. Well, and here's another thing to keep in mind, too. The starter on September 1st might not necessarily be the starter in November. I mean, things. this is going to be an ongoing process, I think. If Jebbia gets thrown out there as the number one guy in week one and struggles or struggles after a couple weeks. Um, yeah, uh, you feel for Jebbia if he starts and he throws like a pick in the first right, quarter. And you I know mean, the fan base is immediately going to be clamoring for Adrian Martinez. It's going to be a tough situation. And so um, – I guess, you know, in, until Adrian Martinez can balance out those swings of play where, you know, as Frost said, he looks great on one play and then looks like a true freshman that's overwhelmed with what he's doing on another, uh, I don't know if they can play him. But that's not to say that that com can't come along quickly. I mean, I've, keep in mind, this kid is, you know, just a few months into his college career. And while he's shown a lot of potential, he just needs more reps. He needs more experience in this offense and uh, just needs to be on the football field, especially considering he didn't play his whole senior season of high school. And guess what, Nate? There's now a four-game redshirt rule. Let's just say out of Look nowhere, Jebbia just lights it up. And you still play Martinez. And then by game four or five, whatever it would be, how many times Martinez would get in, you could say, you know what, let's just redshirt him. You know, let's let him develop at that point. That's a game changer. And and that would be crazy if it play. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to play out that way, but that new rule, man, it gives so much flexibility. Yeah, to have that in your back pocket is huge, um, especially when you do have a dynamic guy that that may not quite be there just yet. So 
Um, but, I mean, I feel confident in saying that both these guys are going to play. It's just a matter of how much they, they both play. Well, one thing that we probably do know is that they're not going to go to a straight-up two-quarterback no. system. You know, ask Mario Verduzco about that on Wednesday, and he said <laughs> the, old, the old adage, if you have two quarterbacks, it means you don't have one. So they're going to have a guy and might play the other guy you know, when the game is comfortably in hand, but it's not going to be an alternating every two-possession type deal because I don't think that's a good thing for anybody. No, I don't think so either. I think that you want to have a, a, a leader. You want to have a, a point man, so to speak, where everyone can look to him and say, okay, this is our guy. This is who we're, we're around. He's going to be our leader to, to, to bring, us, you know, bring us a victory each, each week. All right, we've got a full show here on tap as we are in the Husker Online studios in downtown Lincoln next to Pinnacle Bank Arena. Uh, we are going to break down the offense and the defense um, in our next two segments. We're going to bring in our two new interns uh, Grace Harmon and Allie Snow. They're going to take. They're going to give us your questions in the mailbag. And then Nate Klaus and I will close things out with recruiting. That is all next here on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, Tanner's awesome. Uh, he's an awesome kid, um, awesome player, uh, and he's. I wish I had many more of him, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, not saying that the other guys uh, are, are less than, but um, he's just a, a consistent guy. He's going to come in and you know what you're going to get from him. He takes guys under his wings. He's a freaking selfless player. He's a servant. I, I can't say enough about enough of good things about, about him being you know, the leader that, that he is. He really wants this team to do well. He'll do anything for this team. You get guys bought in like that, you got something good going. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. That was offensive line coach Greg Austin talking about Tanner Farmer and, and, and what he's kind of meant. And it, it's interesting in staff changes, you know, every coaching staff looks at guys differently. And we're going we're gonna to talk about some of those guys uh, that have kind of moved up under this staff versus the other staff. Um, and one of those guys is Tanner Farmer. I mean, he was somebody that going into the Purdue game, you know, Billy Devaney gave Mike Cavanaugh the order to bench him for Matt Farniak, and then Matt Farniak couldn't hold the job down at guard, and they went back to Tanner Farmer um, for that Purdue game, and he still ended up starting. But now you're looking now at Tanner Farmer, they think, as one of the more valuable guys on this line and really a leader. I mean, I would be shocked, Robin Washett, if Tanner Farmer is not one of the captains when they do name captains. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Greg Austin just anointed him a captain in that one soundbite yeah. there. So uh, clearly Tanner Farmer is having as good of a fall. Um, probably On and off the probably field. Probably summer and winter and spring uh, as anybody on this entire team. And his press conference at the opening fall uh, presser, was gold and it showed just kind of how he's matured into you know being that vocal leader he said it himself his entire career he was not uh, that rah-rah leader guy you know he wasn't a captain on his high school team he was obviously never a captain in college but this offseason he has taken the bull by the horns has become a face of this team uh, i think he's going to be uh, a, a mainstay guy win, win or loss after games you know talking to the media uh, and you know being a real example of you know how you're supposed to carry yourself on the field on the practice field in the weight room and in the classroom uh, for all these young players to emulate yeah, after that press conference, I think everyone was kind of looking at each other going, okay, where'd this come from? Is, it, is this for real? And there's no no question now. After that soundbite from Greg Austin, that was definitely for real. And, and he is kind of, I mean, he's taking things to another level and, and really is transformed. I, I don't know 
I mean, I'm not sure exactly what it's been that has kind of turned him into this person, but I think it's safe to say he's he's come out of, you know, whatever shell he may have been in before and, and seems to kind of have a new lease on things, and, and he wants to go out the right way. And you, you heard it in that press conference. He, I mean, he, he has high expectations for himself and this team this year. And sticking on the subject of offensive line, Greg Austin told me something interesting here at practice um, on Thursday on Wednesday uh, that they're searching for versatility um, I he said I'm more about putting the best five on the field more about moving chairs around than really having a second unit in a first unit so um, you're seeing a lot of guys that can play guard or center tackle or guard just that versatility and I'm sure that's something he learned in the NFL when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles you have to have guys that play multiple positions but um, I feel like there's a group of about seven, maybe eight offensive linemen um, that are going to take most of the snaps this year. And a lot of those guys, um, particularly a Tanner Farmer, um, you know, Bo Wilson or, or Matt Sichterman, uh, Matt Farniak, they can play multiple positions. They have that versatility. Yeah. Uh, on Wednesday, Tanner Farmer and Gerald Foster were taking reps at centers as uh, the fourth and fifth center. So, I mean, they're grooming these guys to be able to mix and match as much as possible. And Considering the amount of young inexperience uh, that was going to be relied upon for depth, I think that's the smart way to go about it. Not only are you getting your best players on the field and giving them more opportunities to see the field, you're providing yourself a little bit more depth that you trust and feel comfortable about. So I think that that's probably a um, you know something that's very well welcomed uh, to Nebraska fans who have been you know kind of frustrated with how the offensive line rotation has been managed over the years. Well, it really hasn't been. What rotation? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. exactly. But, I mean, I think when you look at um, how a season typically plays out, I mean, I I think it's pretty unrealistic to expect the, the starting five offensive linemen to go an entire year without any um, without any injuries or, or at least you know some some situations where a guy misses parts of a game or, or maybe even a whole game so uh, it's smart to have some guys ready to ready to roll and that can play multiple positions or can be a swing tackle or swing guard or or play both uh, guard and tackle or whatever the case may be you're going to need that depth and until they can continue to get a couple recruiting classes under their belt they're going to have to mix and match um, you know quite a bit I think. All right moving on now to running back I think the position that could be the most improved of any on this team on especially on offense could be running back for Nebraska you look about you look at last year Nebraska had two runs on the season longer than 30 yards from running backs two and that wasn't one of them J.D. Spielman was I don't know if that I know um I know uh Trey Bryant had one of them and I'm not sure if, if another back I mean I don't know if that counts Spielman's run or not but Nonetheless, it was yeah. a very, very weak year as far as production goes. Well, you've got Greg Bell, and I think all of us on this table would agree that Greg Bell is probably going to be either a form of a starter, whether it's outright or co-starter, but Maurice Washington and, and what he's brought to the table. You had Scott Frost last week say there have been a dozen or so wow runs already from this guy. And keep in mind, he hasn't had a meal in Lincoln yet as far as a training table meal till a couple weeks ago. He didn't lift a weight in Lincoln. He's undersized, but yet he has come in and naturally just run through guys. I guess first to, to fact check on that, uh, the only running back run of 35 yards or longer was by Trey Bryant, a 35-yard rush. Oregon so, game, right? Or yeah, was so no other running back had more than a 28-yard run. That's unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, yeah, going, going back to Maurice Washington, you know, it's what's really astounding about this is it's not just, you know, the offensive guys, coaches trying to, you know, hype up a, a freshman. It's not just teammates, um, you know, f- being impressed by the new guy on campus. It is 
every the head coach, the offensive coordinator, the running back coach, every other position coach on the offense, every position coach on the defense, every player you talk to on either side of the ball. When you ask which freshman on offense has really impressed you this fall, the immediate answer is Maurice Washington. And that is what separates normal offset like preseason fall camp hype Bob Diaco Joshua Kalu hype exactly when it was just Bob Diaco saying those sorts of things and so uh he, I I mean obviously his physique still has some work to do I mean he showed up you know less than he weighed on his official visit because he was putting so much focus on his classroom stuff that he wasn't able to lift he wasn't eating right and so he's got a lot of catching up to do in that regard but still he is a dynamic enough playmaker that they're going to find a spot for him this year Uh, I don't know if he's going to be the number one starter by any stretch especially given the guys ahead of him or you know veteran guys uh, that are on this roster but he's going to find a role and they're going to find ways to get the football in his hands and so fans are going to be able to see what all this hype has been generated about uh, once the season gets underway. Well, it's it's natural ability right now. That's what he's doing. And for him to to be on campus for one day before practice started and to, to be turning heads like that is, is pretty incredible. I don't really remember another player you know really doing that. I mean, Marlon Lucky well, had – Levante David, Rady yeah. Gregory. I mean, but they're older Juco guys. They, yeah. came, they came in on fan day essentially. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they were practicing and they were starters. But – for a high school guy, you're right. I mean, Mark, you mentioned Martin Lucky. That's a good example, Nate. Yeah, I, I just it's it's pretty unreal to Amon Green. I mean, yeah. he like Stipple and our good friend Steve Stipple of the Journal Star said um, Amon Green was running with the ones like the first week when he got here, and that was a national championship team. Yeah, and Maurice, like you said, he hasn't he hasn't been in the strength and conditioning or nutrition or anything. He doesn't even know the playbook. Like yeah. honestly, how how much of the playbook can he really know and fully understand right now? But he's been able to do it all on natural ability, um, and we're also going to see him be returning kickoffs and and be in the mix at, at punt returner and and all sorts of different things. So he's going to be a dynamic player in a lot of different respects. All right, we're going to shift over the discussion to defense. Some former blackshirt players came back into fall camp this week to talk to the team Uh, we'll discuss that and more here you're listening to the husker online show this is husker online your authority on nebraska athletics you know i've said before i think the black shirts is the greatest tradition in all of college football it's not mine coach mcbride started it and those guys built it and, and, and are ushering it into the new generation so i think it's important for us to embrace the past a little bit the other thing was when, when Grant and Jason, like they so eloquently stated, when they were here, the bar was set pretty high already. They knew how to operate. And I think it's not quite like that right now. And I want those guys to get a taste of, of what that standard is, what the bar is supposed to be, how you're supposed to act when you're a black shirt. Because I don't, I don't think the level of the, of the upperclassmen and those type of things has been here the last few years. So I think it's important to get guys that uh, were there when they were operating at the highest level to kind of verbalize it to our guys. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Watchhead, Nate Klaus. Over under Robin and Nate on the number of F-bombs and language drops in that meeting. Yeah. Uh, I think well, there was, Frost made a joke. Like he set the bar like 50 or something like that in the speech. <laughs> and it was quickly uh, hit the overs. Very quickly. Wow. Yeah, I'd be I'd be shocked if it wasn't <laughs> over fifty. Um, but it would have been probably entertaining. Just, probably just in Peter's opening monologue. Yeah. <laughs> I think you know, having Wistrom, Wistrom, you know, he came back last year and did the tunnel walk, I believe, for the opener, if I'm not mistaken, the Arkansas State game. He was involved in at least one of the games last year with Mike Riley. But 
no coach has really latched on. To, I think a lot of coaches are always afraid of Jason Peter and, and kind of letting him in and have him like have the floor like that to the team. But, you know, having Wistrom and Peter together, um, just a strong message. And you've got Scott Frost. They were, they were teammates and captains of that 97 team that Matt Davison was a part of as well. Um, and, and, you know, just, just a great idea to bring them into the fold and address the team. And Coach Frost is comfortable, obviously, with those guys. He knows them. He's not, you know, worried about – I don't know what the word I want to use. He's not um, jealous or intimidated to have ex-players come in like that and, and really deliver a strong message that they're a bunch of you-know-whats or a bunch of this or that. Um, and and they, they went in there unfiltered and gave the millennials a little old-school speech of, of what, the, what it was like back in the day. Yeah, and I think the players responded exactly the way the staff would have hoped. Uh, you know, they, I think Shenander said that that next practice that they had was one of the best practices the defense had the entire fall. I mean, there were some scuffles in practice. Guys were playing angry. And so uh, I can guarantee you there's a direct correlation between what those two guys had to tell them that night before and the, how they took that into, into the next practice. And so that's the fire that I think is needs to happen. It's, it's part of this cultural transition that Frost has set forth on from the day he took over this job. And, um, you know, as far as the player reaction, you know, Freedom Akamoladun said that, you know, having true black shirts, you know, guys that embody everything that this tradition is supposed to be about, come in and tell you exactly, you know, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do it, and, oh, by the way, that lines up exactly with what your coaches now are telling you. Uh, that really hit home. And so hopefully that's kind of the, the foundation that what these guys needed to hear, further confirmation of, about what this whole deal is about and what they need to do to attain that level that, you know, the Peter and Wistroms of the world had. Well, and the timing of it all was perfect, too, in my opinion. You're talking about, uh, what, nine practices, eight practices in. So I think that's about the time where you could start to get into a little bit of a lull. You're you're feeling the, the lumps and bruises and, and whatever you kind of sore maybe going a little not quite as sharp mentally and then you have these two guys come in and kind of rattle your cage a little bit and let you know hey you have two weeks left to, to really perform at a higher level so it, it's now or never if you're going to crank it up a, a couple notches you got some time yet to, to benefit from it yeah it, it's just interesting the former player element how effectively frost has brought that in because I think some coaches looked at it as more of a nuisance and Frost is using it more as a resource. Um, and yeah. a lot of guys didn't want to really bring the Osborne air in because it, it almost seemed unattainable to, to reach the level that those teams did, but they're not running from it. They're, they're bringing those guys in. And, you know, I want to shift to this point too um, about the health of the team. That's one thing that's really jumped out to me is the science behind everything, whether it's strength and conditioning practice times, uh, the nutrition, uh, we have not seen, knock on wood, that major fall camp injury, let alone just a bunch of guys out with nicks and bruises. And I think it has to do with the nutrition, the strength and conditioning. I also think the mentality of competition. A lot of guys know that you know you can't just take the day off because you're sore. And I think we probably saw that over the years. There are a lot of guys that took a day, so to speak, in fall camp. And, and you're not seeing that. Um, the two times that we've been in practice – I've been really amazed how few injured players there have been compared to previous fall camps I've seen at Nebraska. Well, let's think back a year or two ago when the entire receiving core was sitting out of fall camp and they're working with literally an entire roster of walk-ons. It's like a Tour de France training ground back there on the bikes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really was. And so, I mean, that is definitely noticeable. And 
it goes back to all that talk about how everybody's in better shape. You know, there's people that maybe are a little bit skeptical of that. Well, we hear this every year. Uh, everybody's always in the best shape of their life. Well, uh, the proof is in the pudding in situations like this. When you are this far into fall camp and you have guys able to stay on the football field, you're not getting the soft tissue injuries. You're not getting guys um, being too sore or whatever it is. Guys went through a lot this uh, off season it started with winter conditioning and the spring ball and then they kept it going through the summer and it wasn't just you know lifting weights and you know running it was uh, fueling their bodies knowing how to sleep properly uh, you know knowing how uh, to to fuel your body with you know proper breakfast and things that they just weren't doing in the past and so there's all these things that seem simple but they add up to get results like we're seeing right now well, and there, there's definitely a science behind it. Ryan Held talked about it on Wednesday where they can look at, at certain guys and say, okay, uh, they've got a lot of mileage on their legs over the past couple of days, so we're going to shorten up practice. You know, Right now, the way the things have kind of worked is they'll go four or five practices uh, fairly hard and then give them a half day off or, or shorten up a practice and, and kind of you know, re-energize those guys. And, uh, and I think just being smart about how much you put on a guy's legs during this time of year is why UCF only had two soft injury or two soft tissue That's unbelievable. all year long we're listening here to the husker online show uh, i want to shift back to the secondary now we haven't talked about that group and i think of the defense I, f- I feel like we have a very good idea of at least who's going to play on the front seven whether it's linebacker on the d line i think the secondary as we sit here two weeks away or so from game day that is the one grab bag um, you know, you, you had Travis Fisher tip his hand a little bit that Trey Neal and Antonio Reed and Deontay Williams are kind of their top three safeties. Um, I think Lamar Jackson appears to be locked in in a corner, but I still don't have a good read on what's going on on that other side, whether it's Cam Taylor, Will Jackson, um, Boodle. Boodle. Um, I mean, it, it's a very, very hard deal to read. Uh, you've had some other storylines emerge, like JoJo Doman coming off injury, being a surprise. Um, but that is one group that we still don't really know what direction they're leaning. Go to safety. There's one name you didn't mention in that conversation. The guy who's played the more game, most games of anybody in that group at Nebraska, Aaron Williams. I mean, the guy that was a representative at Big Ten Media Days last year. Uh, where is he in the safety competition? Is it the injury? Is it the shoulder? Yeah, I mean, yeah. and every rep he's not able to take, how far is that putting him behind uh, the newcomers, the Trey Neals who came here specifically to win a starting job? Deontay Williams came here specifically to win a starting job. Antonio Reed is supposedly having the best fall camp of his career. Jojo Doman is back in the mix. He was pushing for a starting job before his injury. Uh, the time is ticking on Aaron Williams, in my opinion. And if the fact that um, he's not able to go full go, how much that shoulder is bothering him, um, it's clearly having an impact on you know where his positioning is in, on that depth chart, at least for the season opener. Yeah, I think that injury, it's becoming more and more clear that that injury uh, was a lot more significant than yeah. maybe we... Well, Travis Fisher hinted about it this summer on the satellite yeah. camps when we talked to him out there. Well, Andy also, I think he kind of hinted on it uh, during the Husker Nation tour, too, uh, that, that that was something that they were going to have to be really careful with. Well, I mean, it's, I mean that's, that might be an understatement with how careful that they're having to be there. And um, I mean, it certainly allowed the or kind of opened the door for some other guys to step up and, and kind of take a hold of that safety spot. All right, when we come back, we are going to bring in Husker Online interns, Allie Snow and Grace Harmon. They're going to take your questions in the mailbag. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. He's always been a guy, you know what I mean, since I came in day one that I've looked up to, you know what I mean? And he's a guy that leads our group, like, point blank. 
So I feel like, you know what I mean, him coming back, he had to get in shape, of course. He dropped a, like, dropped a little bit of weight just from being DN, and he's in great shape. I, I like how he's looking, you know, he's moving around, he's covering guys like J.D. Spillman and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm loving it, you know what I mean? I am just hope I get to play out there with him. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. That was Breon Dixon talking about Luke Gifford and what he's meant to Nebraska here throughout the course of fall camp. But uh, as we did all last year, we're going to bring the mailbag back here on the Husker Online Show. And we've got a new fresh crop of interns this year on the staff here at Husker Online. Four, actually, to be exact. And we've got two of the interns here uh, here on the mailbag segment this week here on the Husker Online Show. We've got... Uh, Ali uh, Snow and Grace Harmon, uh, both on the staff. Uh, first of all, guys, great to have you on board. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. Well, we got a full mailbag here. Obviously, a lot of fun this week in the mailbag, like always, with our subscribers. But uh, what do you have this week to start us off with in the mailbag? All right. So the first question is, how confident is the staff in their field goal kicking situation? Well, I think when you, you look at the field goal situation right now, you've got a freshman kicker right now, Barry Kickering, uh, Pickering. He's going to probably end up being the guy. Um, but you, until you see him in a pressure situation in a game, Robin, I, I, I just don't know the overall comfort level, especially with the range. I mean, can, can he go past 45? My guess is they're not going to probably put a freshman past 45 unless it really makes sense. Well, and you know, good news is Jovan DeWitt, uh, special teams coordinator, said that the other day uh, Pickering nearly hit from 56 yards uh, in practice. So I don't think leg strength is going to be an issue, but you know, I think with any freshman kicker, and especially a young guy like Barrett Pickering, you know, they're going to have to do it when the lights are on, when there's a full stadium uh, and the game's on the line. Can you make that cru- crucial clutch kick and so until you know they actually get into the games and are under those circumstances you know I think it's an impossible question to answer but as far as actual kicking ability leg strength I think that's all good so far yeah I think DeWitt was actually surprised by Pickering's range uh, nearly hitting that 56 yard field goal like you said but I, I don't foresee them really putting him in that type of situation they'll probably try to ease him into things but as far as his mechanics and everything like that uh, I think they're they're very pleased with what he's shown thus far all right, we're taking your questions in the mailbag here. Sean Callahan, Robin Washa, and Nate Klaus. We've got Allie Snow and Grace Harmon. What do you guys got next for us here in the mailbag? All right, for so the next question, um, you guys recently got an actual office. How does it compare to working from home like you've been doing, <laughs> and which do you prefer? I mean, there are positives and negatives to both setups, but um, I could speak, I think, for all Nate and Robin and I. We all have, between the three of us, we have five girls under the age of five. Um, so... Sometimes working at home is a lot more difficult than, than it was before, and uh, we're really excited about what we have now and where we're at. And we're right by the stadium. We're right by Pinnacle Bank Arena. We're right by a lot of good restaurants. We can walk everywhere. Um, so this has been a great setup. Um, sure, it's, we'll still work from home a lot, but this has been great for Husker Online to be moved down here in the, in the rail yard. Yeah, the days of laying in bed all day with your laptop, uh, basically doing the only thing to but brush your teeth, you know, the, those days are gone. So having an office to dial in, focus, and not have, you know, a kid wanting your full attention at all times is nice. Well, I, I think also the ability to, to work other places than the floor of the Hawks indoor practice facility. or Like some people? Yeah, like some people or, or, or up in the, the press box, too. is kind of nice to just be able to, to roll right down to the, the rail yard after practice. So, so far, so good. All right, what do you guys have next for us here in the mailbag? All right, so the next question has to do with some former Huskers on the staff, Greg Austin and Barrett Rudd. Um, how did they get connected and end up on Scott Frost's staff? 
Uh, I love that we have this Husker flavor to the staff, but Frost was long gone when Rudd and Austin were at NU, so how did they connect? I think it would be an interesting story to hear from each. All right, Allie or Grace, I'm going to I'm gonna correct you first before you just get torched. It's <laughs> rude. Rude. <laughs> and um, Husker fans, I mean, that's that's like the first family of Nebraska football. A little history lesson for you interns. Um, Barrett Rude's great-grandfather's in the Nebraska Football Hall of Fame and his Gold father. Millennials. Uh, First-round draft pick. But how do they get connected with Scott Frost? Are we, give us a break. We're giving the interns a hard time here. Um, but – Barrett Rude, you know, and Scott Frost have always kept in contact, um, you know, over the years. And uh, when Bo Pelini was fired at Nebraska, Barrett Rude really didn't want to leave Lincoln. I think he would have actually worked with Trent Bray, would have been happy to be a part of things here. He kept his house in Lincoln all these years. But when Frost got the head coach job, he offered Barrett an opportunity to go to Orlando and, and be a quote-unquote kind of quality control or intern and it just worked out for him to go down there with him. And, you know, Greg Austin, I think the connection there is through Chip Kelly. Oregon. Uh, yeah, because at, at Oregon, uh, you know, Chip Kelly, um, you know, was able to hire Greg Austin with the Philadelphia Eagles. No, was, Chip, was Greg Austin in Greg Oregon? Greg was a GA at Oregon. Then he um, went to the Eagles. And then he went to the Eagles as a full-time O-line coach there. So, yeah, there's just a lot of natural connections on how all of that came together uh, with Frost. And, you know, I, I think everyone had the big picture in mind, I'm sure – Guys like Barrett Rude and other people like, hey, if this works out, maybe Frost will be at Nebraska, and they bet on the right horse in the situation. Yeah, and those Nebraska connections run pretty deep. I mean, they go beyond just when you played together, and obviously the NFL ties there too with Barrett Rude and Scott. Um, you know, they had same, some of the same coaches from when they played together, so uh, I think they were very well aware, and especially as a guy starts to get his chops under him as a coach. Um, word gets around pretty quickly in the circle, um, especially if you know the right people. So I think it was kind of a natural choice on both those guys. All right, what do you guys have next? All right, so what do you think athletic director Bill Moo's win-loss record expectations are for the team this year? You know, I don't know if, like, to me, I don't think it's just wins and losses. And I, first of all, I don't think Bill Moose has a number that's in mind. I think he knows he's made everything right, and I feel strongly it's going to work out. But – I think it's the feel, guys, of what this year is going to be. You know, Mike Riley won nine games in 2016, but it felt like crap. I mean, it didn't feel like a good nine-win season. Um, and, you know, Bo Pelini had a couple of those nine-win years where they won nine, but it didn't feel good. Um, I think, as if anything, when they lose or how they play on these bigger games – just how that feels, how that looks is going to be as big of any as anything this year. Yeah, the optics are going to be a big part of it. Don't get blown out. Don't have games where fans in your own stadium are clearing out in the third quarter. Uh, I think the, those are the most basic first steps you need to see. And this is certainly not like a basketball situation where they've kind of drew a line in the sand saying you need to do this in order to keep your job because Bill Moose and Scott Frost are tied at the hip. And so if Bill Moose is putting any expectations on Scott Frost, he's putting those expectations on himself too. Yeah, I think it's all about passing that eye test. You know, are, is the team making progress as the season goes along? Um, you know, are they playing hard? What's the effort like? You know, everything. Basically, does it look different than what it did last year uh, under the, the four-win season? So, uh, to me, that's what it's all about, not necessarily numbers, win-loss record. And if it doesn't look different, guys, I'll be shocked. Yeah, I would be I, 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 I just would be, I mean, about as wrong as anything in my life if this, if this did look better than it did a year ago. All right, we have time for one last question in the mailbag. What do you have to end it with? All right, so we're going to do a little fun one this time, and I'll try to get the pronunciation right this time. We're giving time. you a hard time, Grace. From here on out, I'll do better. <laughs> uh, so Battle Royale of the new interns, who wins and why? Man. 
All right. Well, let's let's break this down. We got four interns. A- Allie has the height and the reach. I think over all of them. Alec Rome <laughs> is about six one. Okay. Big guy, too. but he's a youngster. Yeah, fresh. He's fresh out of high school. He's not even moved into his dorm yet. Mike Wheeler was a good baseball player at Elkhorn. I think he played on a state championship team. He's got some scrap to him. He's the shortest guy of our team. Grace, you're you're a farm girl, right? Ranch girl. I am. We got This is a pretty pretty good battle. She's she's worked. She knows hard work. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go, Grace. Have you lifted bales of hay before, Grace? I have actually. She military presses them. (laughs) What kind of farming do you guys do? Uh, we have cattle, and then we grow corn and soybeans. That's awesome, I'm saying. Unless Allie wants to defend her claim to well, this battle. I'm used to being the underdog. I always root for the <laughs> underdog, so I'm I'm going with myself. The thing is, Allie can keep Grace from getting in on her, though. She's got the reach. She's got the reach. She got the reach. Girl fight. She could put her hand on my forehead, and I would not be able to reach her. Well, guys, uh, thanks for no votes uh, for Mike Wheeler. Thanks for making your debut here on the Husker Online Show. We look forward to having you on uh, and, and being a part of the team here throughout the year. Thank you so much. We're excited. All right. When we come back, we'll close the show with some recruiting talk. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, I'd say to this point, he's better than what I expected. Um, It's amazing. He hadn't worked out much. He was focused on academics. Um, He was working. I don't think he was eating uh, and getting all the nutrition that he needed. He showed up actually quite a bit lighter than when he was here on his recruiting visit. Uh, So we didn't know what we would get, but um, he's going to be a pretty special player. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Final segment of Scott Frost talking about Maurice Washington and just the surprise that he's been thus far in fall camp. But we're going to talk some recruiting. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as uh, we discuss a number of different topics here and related to Husker recruiting. But, Nate, first and foremost – Props to our company, Rivals.com, for finally, finally ranking Nick Henrich as a four-star, but not only a four-star, all the way up to, what, 107 107 in the top 250. So uh, Nick Henrich now, far and away, I believe, the highest-ranked recruit now in Nebraska's 2019 class. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a long time coming. Uh, You and I have both kind of been – been uh, puzzled, yeah, puzzled <laughs> by that. But uh, I mean, it was it was just a matter of time. I, I think we both knew that that this was going to happen. Uh, just didn't quite know when. And and finally, um, you know, and, and part of it too is is because um, you know some of our regional guys and national guys weren't able to see Nick in action uh, at all. You know, over the past year or so, he, he's not really a guy that goes to a lot of camps or or is you know out in the in the public, um, you know, in the public eye all that much or under the spotlight. And, and he prefers it that way. And, and some guys do. And, and uh, but it was just a matter of time until his uh, his you know ranking kind of lived up to to what his overall ability level is. And uh, to be the the 107th ranked recruit in the country, regardless of position, I think is a pretty big uh, pretty big deal and, and a nice accomplishment for him. Um, and, and I'm excited to, to see what he's going to do on the field this year for for Burke. You know, we're just a couple weeks away from high school football season getting underway. And uh, between him and, and Chris Hickman, I, I think that, um, you know, they're going to help Burke to, to quite an quite a impressive season this year. And I, Nebraska's class now ranked 24th in the country, Nate. And I wanted to ask you that about, about rankings because it was brought up in our chat this week on Red Sea Scrolls. You know, should Nebraska be going after higher ranked guys? And are they, are they really getting the guys that can compete? And, I mean, I, I, I really like – I don't care if this class is ranked 24th. I, I see a lot of 
things that jump out to me when I look at this class. And I still think it's going to fall in that 15 to 25 range, which is kind of where Nebraska should and always needs to be. Nebraska getting top 10 classes. I mean, that's like a once every 20 year thing. You just from the pure optics and the geography of the state, it's it's very hard to fall in the top 10. Yeah, there, I mean, to, to think that Nebraska can consistently be a top 10 recruiting team, I, I just I don't know if that's very realistic. Obviously, um, your, your needs change from year to year. And, and to be able to do that as a, you know, as a national recruiter like Nebraska is, is pretty difficult. But when you look at the, the class right now, 16 commits, uh, number 24 in the country, um, you can up all up and down the, the commitment list. There's a lot of guys that are right on the cusp, you know, a, a high ranked three star who you could make a case could eventually become a four star. Um, but really, it's not about, you know, well, these coaches are settling or, or they're they're just fine recruiting three star players. That doesn't matter to these guys. What matters is is the fit in the, the system, you know, how they're going to fit into whatever scheme, you know, re- depending on position and the fit in the culture. And, you know, whether it's a five star guy or an unranked guy like Matthew Anderson was uh, up until a few weeks ago. So uh, that doesn't really matter to the staff. It's, it's all about fit to these guys. And I think as we start to see the results on the football field, I think that will eventually open up some more doors to some more highly recruited or highly touted guys. Uh, and we'll start to see, you know, uh, Nebraska kind of reel in maybe a higher a higher type of, of recruit down the road. But we're always going to see them kind of go after guys that are, are a perfect fit but may not be ranked all that highly. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk some recruiting topics here as – uh, Nebraska well on a roll with their class but Nate they're also on a roll with setting up in-season official visits and um, it's an interesting schedule because right now you other than the opener there aren't any night games scheduled so you know, it's difficult because you don't know if the Big Ten's going to give you that 11 a.m. Or, or what time kickoff is going to be but um, things are awfully limited on that but they still have done a really good job of getting a number of guys in for visits. Yeah, so far they've locked in a, a ton of official visits, and uh, I think right now we've we've confirmed uh, right around 15 or so, maybe a little over 15, but uh, nine so far for that Colorado game, which is going to be a 2:30 kick, um, but in, in three for the Akron game, the home opener, which is a night game, and uh, and I have a feeling that that you know as we continue to reach out to more and more players, we're going to come across um, probably three or four more guys at least that are going to be making their way to Lincoln for that Akron game. Um, uh, but like I said, I don't really remember a, a time, uh, you know, two two and a half weeks or so out from the season where we've seen uh, this many guys lined up for official visits. So that tells me that these guys are organized um, and they're definitely placing importance on getting guys to, to campus and having them kind of take in the whole atmosphere, the, the game day atmosphere and, and being able to, to really see what Nebraska is all about and to really see what these guys are wanting to do on the football field, you know, because that's something that, that you you can tell a guy, okay, this is how we want to use you, or this is how you're going to fit into our system, uh, and maybe even show them film from Central Florida or, or what they've done at Oregon in the past. But until a lot of these guys can actually see it in person or, or at least on TV what they're going to do at Nebraska, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's kind of a hard sell at times. We're talking recruiting here with Nate Klaus, Sean Callahan, as we close this week's Husker Online Show. When you look at those first three games, Nate, 
You've got a night, a 2.30, and an 11 a.m. If you were to peg a number of official visitors over those three, could you see 15 used in the first three? I mean, is there a number? I know most of the commits, a lot of the commits are going to come. Is it the Colorado game right now? Yeah, right now I think there's about well, five or six commits out of the out of the 16 right now that are making their way in for the Colorado game. Um, you know, and two of those are Colorado natives, so that's kind of an added little little uh, little twist there. But um, you know, out of, out of those first three games, I, I think that we could see at least fifteen, and, and maybe even closer to twenty official visits between those three home games. And um, you know, they get fifty six visits in, in the entire year to use between this fall and, and next spring. So um, you know, I think they're going to be pretty aggressive with uh, with you know how many guys they bring in during the season, and then. Um, um, you know, and then kind of ration things out a little bit as as the recruiting cycle moves along. Yeah, it was last year, Nate. We saw you know a number of guys sign in December. I think it's going to be even more this year. I think um, very very few prospects are going to be available this year after December. So you almost have to really front load now um, in the days of you know Christmas time visits and guys you know guys coming in in January. I mean, it's no more. I mean, you almost have to be you know, have your visits used up at least with your main targets during the season or the summer now. Yeah, the only reason we saw a run on January visits last year is because of the circumstances with, with this new staff and everything needing to fill out that class. I, I just don't think we're going to see that very much at all uh, anymore. I mean, to put it this way, a couple of weeks ago, there were 81 commitments in one week. Uh, basically, coming out of the dead period of the summer, there were 81 commitments made across the country. And so, uh, to me, that, that tells me that, that was probably just power five or was that everything that was power five? Wow. And so to me, that, that tells me that, uh, that, you know, the, the process as a whole is being sped up and these kids aren't really waiting around. And, um, you know, there's going to be a handful of guys, obviously. And, and a lot of those guys that do wait are, you know, they have 40, 50 offers to their names and, and they can afford to wait a little bit. But as, as things speed up and continue to do so, um, you know, you're going to see a much, you know, a greater emphasis placed on getting guys on campus as early and often as possible. Here's my one beef with that as we wrap it up, Nate, is the senior year. Um, we all play, if you played high school football, you all knew a guy in your team that was a late bloomer as a junior, may not even have been a starter. I mean, Brandon Riley, great example, Lincoln Southwest. He ended up being a walk-on. Now he's in the NFL. Uh, but he wasn't even a starter really as a junior and then blew up as a senior. That type of guy, what's going to happen to him in this new recruiting calendar and who are the teams that are going to maybe hold a few spots back each year to get a late bloomer that maybe wasn't on the radar as a junior? And and you have to kind of be patient and play out that senior year. I also think it's going to be really big for recruiting personnel departments, Nate, to evaluate during the season and make some September, October decisions on maybe a new guy that emerges. Yeah, you, you're going to have to kind of hold some spots back for, for those evaluations. Well, first and foremost, you got, you've got to be – pretty positive and feel really good about your uh, ability to evaluate out of the gate, you know, prior to um, these players' senior seasons. And so in, in that that the guys that you accept commitments from are, are going to be guys that you still want to have on your commitment list heading into uh, that early signing period. But uh, as guys do develop and kind of emerge during their senior seasons, you're going to want a couple spots, uh, you know, set aside for, for those types of players. Um, but you know, one thing that I've kind of picked up on here with this staff is that uh, they're they're not backing off of recruiting uh, you know talented guys that they 
really, really like. And, and the running back situation is is a perfect example of that. They've got uh, quite a few running backs on the roster already. They've got three guys committed already, but they're still going after a guy like Wandell Robinson, the four-star recruit out of Kentucky, very, very hard. And they're pushing for a commitment for, for him um, you know, in, in, a, in a major way. And so, um, and if that means that they lose a current commit at that position, so be it. then so be it, because they're dead set on bringing in the very best guys that they can, regardless of numbers. And, and I think they feel confident that it'll all kind of work itself out in the end. Well, lots to keep up on here over the next week or so as fall camp will continue and maybe we'll get some more depth chart evaluations here from the staff. So make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.